Welcome to First Unitarian Society of Minneapolis, the birthplace of Congregational Humanism. We carry on that tradition of free thought today, dedicated to promoting a free search for truth, meaning, and justice. Our web address is firstunitarian.org. I'm David Breeden, Senior Minister. Welcome. Our theme for November is the path of change. Today I want to consider what happens when the path of change floods out. Those of you who have spent some time here in the Midwest know how it works here. There is a cause and effect relationship in the Mississippi watershed. It rains a whole bunch and then creeks and rivers begin to flood and that makes sense, doesn't it? Rain equals flood. Now think about the desert southwest. The cause and effect of lots of rain equals flooding there, yes, but the logic doesn't always work. Sure, lots of rain leads to flooding, but floods also come when there isn't a cloud in the sky anywhere. And that takes some getting used to for us Midwesterners. In arid terrain, there are a lot of low water crossings. These are in rural areas, yes, but also in urban areas. The creeks are so shallow and there is so seldom any water anywhere that low water crossings often get installed rather than spending lots and lots of money on roads or big bridges over things. So you can drive all over Minneapolis and never even realize you're driving over water. But sometimes you are, that costs money. These usually have flood gauges so that people can see how deep the water is. And a rhyming phrase that you hear in weather reports in the Southwest is a very important reminder. Turn around, don't drown. <laughs> but it seems like every time the creeks flood, someone does drown. Now, why? Well, of course, for one thing, flood water can come sweeping in on a perfectly sunny day, as I said. There's so little topsoil in arid climates, so rain simply has nowhere to go but down really quickly. A rain 20 miles away can send a flood sweeping through the dry creek beds. Sometimes people simply don't see the floodwaters coming, and uh, that's why there are also signs that say, do not camp in dry creek beds. <laughs> there are lots of anecdotal stories about sudden flooding and people grabbing and climbing into the tops of trees to save themselves. But most people die in flooding due in the low water crossings. Often people drown because they don't turn around. The threat is clearly present. You see those flood gauges up to five, six, eight feet. Clearly there's some danger going on here, but a lot of people drive into the rushing water. Why? Sure, rushing water doesn't look as dangerous and as powerful as it is. But there's also this human propensity that all of us know probably a little too well. We don't want anything messing with our plans. Sure, people say, I know this is dangerous, 
but I've got plans. Nothing can mess with my plans. It's human nature, and it gets people killed. That propensity to hold on despite evidence is one of the things I want to think a little bit about today. Another is that good old-fashioned idea of memento mori, remembering death. The phrase, Lord willing and the creeks don't rise, has become a cliche even among people who don't traditionally say those things, but hillbillies like me do. It's kind of like knock on wood. It's a, a statement with a little bit of superstition to it, but, you know, we don't really think about it. But Lord willing and the creeks don't rise is not a joking matter among people who take Christian scriptures fundamentally. The practice arises from two verses in the book of James from Christian scripture. They go like this. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there doing business and making money, yet you do not even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wishes, we will live and do this or that. Origin of the phrase, Lord willing and the cricks don't rise. It's become a cliche, but many people were and still are very serious about saying some version of if the Lord wishes, we will live and do this or that. It's a way of expressing absolute dependence upon the will of the God as God is understood in Christian scriptures. It's a way of confirming an understanding of the question asked in that biblical verse, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. It's a statement of, of ephemerality, of trust and dependence upon the will of a God. And at least in an ideal sense, it's an announcement of a willingness to turn around rather than choosing to power through the flood, no matter what, on the basis of our human wishes. Yes, it is human nature to make plans and then breathlessly and often thoughtlessly pursue those plans, no matter what. But the wisdom of the ages tells us that rushing in despite the flood is a very bad idea for your health, both physical and mental. Turn around, don't drown, because remember, you are a mist. I think an old Zen proverb sums it up best of all. Let go or be dragged. A very old Zen proverb, let go or be dragged. I can't think about flooding without thinking of the famous line from the philosopher Heraclitus, you cannot step into the same river twice. Heraclitus continued that thought with an explanation of what he meant, for it is not the same river and you are not the same person. Now, this is even a more radical statement than the more common phrase, you can't go home again. Yes, you can follow the logic Heraclitus sets up, for it is not the same home and you're not the same person, but it's more radical because Heraclitus is suggesting a step and then an immediately following step. Not much time has passed. 
It's not like growing up in a house and then going back when you're an adult and realizing that everything is smaller than you remember. No, Heraclitus is talking about constant change from one moment to the next. Change that we ourselves have perhaps not even noticed. A step and then another step immediately. That, Heraclitus is saying, is the nature of our realities. It is constant change. In sculpture and painting, Heraclitus is usually portrayed as the weeping philosopher. He can be mistakenly seen as praying in these various kinds of artistic uh, enumerations because he has this bowed head. He's not praying, he's weeping. Tradition says that he had an extremely melancholic personality. By the way, Democritus, uh, who was the philosopher who postulated the existence of atoms, is called the laughing philosopher. So apparently it's more happy to discover atoms than change. <laughs> Heraclitus was born in Ephesus, which is now a part of Turkey. He died in the late 400s before the Common Era. The reading we did earlier is a collection of fragments. It's not actually a poem in the traditional sense. We have only fragments of the writing of Heraclitus because early Christians didn't like the way he was thinking very much, and so they did not preserve his writings. Yet the fragments that we do have have stood the test of time. Some of what we read earlier, whoever wishes to know about the world must learn about it in its particular details. you got to really look. In searching for the truths, be ready for the unexpected. Change alone is unchanging. The same road goes both up and down. Beginning of a circle is its end. Not I, but the world says it all. All is one, and yet everything comes in a season. And yes, no one can step in the same river twice. It's not the same river, and it's not the same person. Heraclitus was onto something being explored by philosophers in other regions of the world, but not so much in the Mediterranean world of his time, the, the world that later became Christendom. So, Let's look at the elements we have here. Firstly, we have the very human propensity to grasp and hold on to things, whether that be the itinerary of a trip we're taking or holding on to the people we love. Secondly, we have the ephemerality of human life. We're here today and gone tomorrow like a mist. Traditional Christianity teaches that despite all appearances, there is a God in charge. And not only that, but this changeable reality we live in is only half the story. There is an unchangeable, indeed eternal reality beyond what we can see. Heraclitus believed that this reality that we see is the only one. And he believed that the material cosmos is eternal, the implication being that no gods had to ever create it, and no gods are involved in keeping it going. Whether or not he was correct on the point of the eternal cosmos, Heraclitus's thinking was unlike the mythologies in which particular gods create the earth, and then there are reasons for what you do. In an uncreated cosmos, no gods are required to make it, and it does not require any gods to keep an eye on its operation, 
the whole cosmos is merely here. In which case, yes, the creeks will rise and water will flow and flood, and yes, we are ephemeral creatures. Our lives could even be described as a mist. But in this vision of reality, there is no will of any God to be appeased or appealed to. Rather, we human beings are on our own, and we only have each other. Heraclitus saw a different reality from that of his Mediterranean contemporaries. Yes, the creeks rise and water flows. Yes, we are a temporary mist in terms of our lives. And yes, we are on our own. Therefore, we have a lot of work to do. We must know about the world and its particular details because that is all that exists. Also, therefore, we must search for truth in the natural world itself. Truth isn't written in any books inspired by any gods, and change alone is unchanging. Therefore, we find apparent contradictions when we begin to look around. Roads do go both ways. Circles do end and begin in the same spot. And in the thinking of Heraclitus, there is no material world versus a spiritual world. All, as he says, is one. And we can see and even sometimes predict change by watching this particular thing we call time or duration. Everything comes in a season, time, duration. In order to discuss and potentially understand this concept of change, we have to have a concept of time and what that means. One thing happens before another thing. Duration and change is why you can't step into the same river twice. The water continues to flow. The very temporary biological entity we call people continues to flow and change. No, let's forget about questions of degree and consider two options here to think this through a little bit. One option, Heraclitus is wrong. There is another world, an eternal world, and it's non-chaotic, and we can't see it, but it's, it's there. Or Heraclitus is right. All we have is this world in its chaotic change, a world we can navigate more safely by watching the details. Heraclitus, born 400 years before Christ, and James, who was writing a little bit into our common era, agree on two points about our reality. You do not know, even know, what tomorrow will bring. They both agree on that one. And what is your life for you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes? That's observable, isn't it? What each of us does about those facts contrasts two ways of living in our world. One, trust that there is an unseen reality in order to the cosmos and do what you can to appeal and appease it whatever that unseen reality is, or two, trust what we observe of our reality and adapt to what we see. Traditional Christianity says there is an unseen reality. Unitarian Universalism, eh, being creedless, you work it out for yourself. And we humanists say, you see it, love the details. It's all we got. As for me, I choose humanism, and that's kind of why. 
By way of concluding, I do want to go back, however, to that old Zen saying, let go or be dragged. <laughs> that good advice works for driving into flood water. <laughs> let go or be dragged. Let, turn around, don't drown. That good advice also works for any plans you might be making, doesn't it? Let go or be dragged. Let go of those plans if need be. Sunk costs are sank, right? Sunk costs are sank. Let's go on with what we've got and make the best of it. That good advice also applies to wishes we might have for life to be otherwise. Oh, why wasn't I born rich and good looking? Uh, let go or be dragged. <laughs> that good advice also works for all of life's regrets, I think. Let go or be dragged. And what happens when we do let go and love this world of change as we actually see it? Well, look around you here in this congregation and you will see a whole bunch of people who have let go of those traditional assumptions. Sure, goals are important for adequate and informed exploration. You gotta have goals. The ability to let go, however, is equally important. Again, Heraclitus was on to something. Roads go both ways. Circles begin where they end. There is no material world versus a spiritual world. It is all one. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a while and then vanishes. So, come on, mists, mists, mists. Let's grasp for the good, let go when it's time, and let's enjoy the change. Let's let go and run free. Thanks for listening. You can find much more about humanism and what's happening at First Unitarian Society in Minneapolis by visiting our website at firstunitarian.org.